English translation. Sometimes I lie on the surface of the earth, sometimes on leaves, grass, or stone, sometimes on a pile of ashes, or sometimes by the will of others, in a place on a first-class bed with pillows. <clears throat> so I can say, and you repeat, sometimes I lay on the surface of the earth, Sometimes on leaves, grass or stone, sometimes on a pile of ashes, or sometimes by the will of others in a place on a first-class bed with pillows. Purport by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada. The learned Brahman's description indicates different types of births, for one lies down according to one's body. Sometimes one takes birth as an animal and sometimes as a king. When he takes birth as an animal, he must lie down on the ground. And when he takes birth as a king or a very rich man, he is allowed to lie in, a first, class, in first class rooms in huge palaces decorated with beds and other furniture. Such facilities are not available, however, at the sweet will of the living entity. Rather, they are available by the supreme will, parechaya, or the arrangement of maya, as stated in Bhagavad Gita, 1861. Ishvaraha bhutanam yatra the Supreme Lord is established, situated in everyone's heart, O Arjuna, and is directing the wanderings of all living entities who are seated as on a machine made of the material energy. <clears throat> the living entity, according to his material desires, receives different types of bodies which are nothing but machines offered by material nature according to the order of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. By the will of the Supreme, one must take different bodies with different means for lying down. Omagan Timarindasya Kiranjanam Shalakaya Chakshwapunmiditam Jainan Tashmai Sri Guravehinamaha Sri Chaitanya Mano Vishnam Shtapitam Jainabhutale Swayam Rupa Kadamayam Dadakti Swabadantakam Panchakopa Tarubyas Chakripa Sendapayeva Chapatitanam Pavanibya Vaishnavibhinamonamaha Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Prasthaya Bhutale Sri Mati Bhaktivedanta Swamini Tinane Namaste Saraswati Devi Goravani Pracharine Nirvisesha Sunyavani Paschatadesha Tarine <coughs> so, this Brahman is talking to Nard Muni and he's telling him how his life goes. He's saying, sometimes I have this, and sometimes I have that. Sometimes it's very good. Sometimes I eat palatable foodstuffs. And sometimes it's just stale. You know, pretty much he's saying, I take what comes my way. Uh, in his eating, he's discussing. Uh, sometimes he eats in the daytime, sometimes he eats at night, you see. So he's, uh, as the previous verse said, he's, he's taking the position kind of like the python. I'm in one place and, uh, and I'm accepting what comes my way, you see. Uh, 
Sometimes I lie on the earth, sometimes I lie on leaves, sometimes I'm in a great bed, you see. So uh, one might wonder, well, why is this person's life so up and down like this? You see, it's not, that's not like the rest of us. It doesn't fit in with the material world altogether because people are, are envisioning, you know, I want, uh, typically they'll see some advertisement and they'll think, well, I want some, some food stuff. Uh, I remember I was looking for a Sankirtan spot in uh, uh, Tucson, Arizona, years ago. I was driving around looking for a good place to do Sankirtan, distribute books. And uh, I came around a corner, I looked, and there was this gigantic billboard with a, the pieces of this most beautiful, delicious-looking pizza I'd ever seen, this beautiful billboard. And uh, I thought, wow. So I drove on, you know, about a minute later, I suddenly had this craving for pizza. I thought, boy, I'd give anything for pizza. But, you know, whatever this place is, they probably stuff it with onions and garlic, whatever. So, anyway, I fought off the urge. When I got back to the temple uh, later that night, they were serving pizza. <laughs> so, Krishna was so kind to send pizza. So, Krishna's like that, you see. Uh, but typically, uh, those of us in the material world were, were directed by the material energy. You see, material energy, you know, someone may see a picture in a magazine. Uh, sometimes when I'm flying, I'll, I'll look through the magazine in the, in the pocket in the seat in front of me just to see, you know, what is, what's the world up to these days. <clears throat> and we see so many advertisements, pictures of uh, attractive people. And they're smiling, they're always smiling, and they're dressed very well, and they're doing these uh, uh, appealing things. And they may, have a, they may be demonstrating a beautiful bed. So you may think, typically the living entity thinks, oh, that's what I want. You know, I want a bed like that because I want to look like her. She was so pretty, my wife will be pretty like, and I will be handsome like him, you see. And the world will see me the way I see these people. <clears throat> in this magazine, so I'm going to strive hard to get it. I'm going to work hard and save my money, you know, maybe take out another credit card or whatever I have to do, but I'm going to get a bed like that, so I'll look like her, and she, my wife will be like her, and I'll look like him, and, you know, and I'll dress like him, too. I'll buy my wife a dress like that. So the world will see me the way I'm seeing them. In other words, I was impressed by that image, and now I want to impress you and have you see me like I see them. So everyone is playing their little movie. They're thinking like that. As we go around, we see people and they're simply acting. Uh, they're, they're actors in a movie. They're simply playing this, this role. They've forgotten who they are. They don't know who they are. You see, they practically, practically speaking have no identity. They're creating their identity as they go. And we can see uh, people uh, we don't notice it amongst the, the devotee community, but uh, if you notice your, your, probably your friends and, and relatives, you can see uh, how their lives completely change all the time. You know, you'll see them one time and they've got, uh, you know, a certain kind of hairdo and they wear a certain kind of clothes and then a few years later they have a whole different do and a whole different wardrobe. You know, sometimes their hair is combed you know, I remember when, well, one thing about old age is you can look back and you can see history. You can see how things... There are advantages 
to old age. Tamal Krishna Maharaj and I were discussing that several times that old age will have, when we were younger, we used to say someday we'll be old men in rocking chairs and we'll just be sitting and old age will have its advantages because we will have taken all the all the punches that Maya has and you know we'll be educated from history and uh, um, and then later on uh, one day he told me we I started talking about uh, us being old men in, in rocking chairs and and he told me that's not going to happen we're not going to grow old together and I never he never explained I asked him I said why and he said we'll talk about that later but uh, but he, he said, no, we won't. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, one collects uh, uh, this after seeing the material world go through its changes, and we see people go through their changes, establishing one identity, and then throwing it away and establishing a whole new identity. <clears throat> like in the 70s, in the 60s and early 70s, uh, we grew our hairs out long and wore a certain kind of uh, cloth, and uh, that's the way things were. Then in the 80s, uh, it kind of got to where people cut their hair and they smoothed it down and got into kind of like business. And then in the 90s, there were people who had, who had uh, uh, there were, it, was, it was common for the same people to have like half short hair and then a ponytail in back. And then uh, sometime in the early 2000s, people decided to just mess their hair up and have it stand up. You know, and then, so as you see people, as I travel around, I see people that I've seen years ago, and I'm thinking, well, look at you today, you're so different, you know. And, uh, you know, I haven't changed so much except I have <laughs> more age wrinkles and maybe gain a few pounds or whatever. But you see, the devotees don't go through this. You know, we don't change our dress. We're wearing uh, the dress that Lord Chaitanya gave us. We're, we're wearing spiritual attire. Some people challenge, is it spiritual? You know, some people, uh, I've heard people say, and I see on the internet people say, well, that's not spiritual dress, dhotis and uh, kurtas and saris. You know, that's, that's Indian clothes. Uh, that's Indian clothing. Well, I just spent six months in India. And uh, even walking through Nabadweep or Mayapur or Vrindavan, most of the time I was the only one that was wearing a dhoti. Isn't it? Isn't it like that? You know, the women, most of the women wear saris. You know, the women are much more, of course, a lot of them are starting to wear Western, Western clothing. So there's nothing Indian particularly about the way we dress. Uh, the people who wear <coughs> dhotis and saris <coughs> typically are making a, a spiritual uh, statement. You see, everything that we're doing is we're trying to make a statement. It's just like, uh, I remember back in the 60s in the hippie days, uh, suddenly somebody showed up one day with a t-shirt with something written on it. Now up until, up until then, nothing was ever written on t-shirts. T-shirts were considered undergarments, you see. So along came somebody that had a t-shirt that said something like, I, I hate Nixon or, you know, uh, Led Zeppelin, you know, their favorite rock and roll band or whatever. <clears throat> so people are trying to make a statement with their clothing more and more as time goes by. Led Zeppelin, I'm a Led Zeppelin man, aren't you impressed? 
<laughs> you know, uh, you know, I hate uh, Obama. Aren't you impressed? Uh, I hate this or I hate that. I like this or I like so. I'm I'm trying to tell you. I want you to know something about me. I'm making a statement. So the businessman, he may be dressed in an expensive Armani suit and a silk tie and a very nice cotton shirt, and he's making a statement. Uh, I'm a successful businessman. Just look at my Rolex and you see. I want you to know that I'm successful. Just see how I'm dressing. And in the car, I drive a car. I drive a very nice uh, Bentley or whatever. You see, I'm successful. So therefore, you can put your trust in me. You see. So everyone's making a statement. <clears throat> and we, the devotees of Krishna, we're also making a statement. We're making a statement. We are devotees of Krishna. We dress, uh, in, in, the, in the material world, there's a saying in business, I was in business for a long time in my householder years, uh, there's a saying that it's okay to eat to please yourself, but dress to please others. You know, in other words, I want to please the people. If I'm a businessman, I want to please you when you walk into my business or when I approach you, I want you to say, hey, wow, nice duds. I really know. Oh, people, look at your shoes. Oh, look at those shiny shoes. So he cares about it. So that's your statement. Uh, <clears throat> the devotee is making a different kind of statement, although we're making a statement. We're uh, also dressing to please others. We're dressing to please Krishna. You see? But we go before the deities. Um, we don't necessarily go before the deity to see the deity. When we're taking darshan of the deity, we're letting the deity see us. We're going before the deity so Krishna can see us, you see. Uh, now, we want to see him, but basically we want the Lord to see us. We want to have that relationship with him, you see. So we dress in a certain way to please him. Now, when, when, uh, when the programs are over and it's time to go to work or do whatever, you know, many people change into street clothing, and that's quite all right. That's depending on the need. So, and I only bring this up because there's a lot of people in the U.S. I don't know how it is in the U.K. There's there's a whole movement trying to abandon dhotis and saris. Who needs them? And these people say, um, uh, "What's the importance? Is it is your outer covering that important?" And to them, I say, "Well, if it's if it's not important, I mean, I'll go with what you're saying. It's not important. So then, let's dress to please Krishna." and dressed to please Srila Prabhupada. And then people say, but Prabhupada never <clears throat> asked us to wear this cloth. He never asked us to dress like this. But that's a fact. He was shocked. He never thought that the, the dogs of the, of the Western world would put on the dress of a Brahmin. You see, he never thought that the ladies would put on saris. He wasn't, that, he wasn't pushing for that, but he certainly was delighted. He was delighted. You see, he didn't ask or demand, but he was very pleased. And he said many times how he was very happy. So, we know what makes him happy. He likes for us to show up for Guru Puja. And he sees us in dhotis and saris. And the deities see us in dhotis and saris. And they go, oh, you're doing this for me. And you're doing this so nicely for me. And that's touching to Krishna. <clears throat> Krishna is, when we add the element of love, Krishna is so easily touched. 
you see. He's conquered by love. If we can actually feel love for him, even if it's a little bit. Now we may think, in, in, in humility we may say, but I, I don't love Krishna. I, I barely love anything except myself, you see. But uh, Krishna, he, he will extract a little bit, even if there's a tiny drop of love, he will delight on that, you see. He's very happy when you make some offering. Because he knows in your current condition, what you're offering me is fantastic. You see, if you were Bhaktivinoda Thakur, he may expect more. But in our condition, if we offer some, a few drops of love, he's very happy. And he gives you facility to give him more, as you may desire. So this, uh, this Brahman who's speaking here, we may wonder, well, why does he sleep on sometimes on stone and sometimes in a bed. Doesn't he make any arrangement? You know, surely he must make an arrangement for his food. You know, doesn't he tell people, well, I'm on a special diet, you know, I'm not taking any chilies and, you know, no tomato or what, you know? No, he just takes whatever. Now, why is that? Does anybody have an idea? Why? Why does he live his life like this? He's dependent on Krishna. He's just depending on Krishna. Now, why is that? <coughs> let's, go, let's go a little further. He's dependent on Krishna. Why? How does that manifest? How does this work? He's dependent on Krishna. Yes? He accepts whatever comes. Yeah, he accepts whatever comes. And the reason why he's caught up in this thinking of accepting whatever Krishna sends is that he wants to know my dear Lord, what do you want? He's not even conscious of, well, I want this or I want that. He's, he doesn't start out every day saying, now give me today my daily bread. You know, and, uh, all right, Krishna, have you got a pen? Because I've got a list here, you know. Uh, first of all, I need my daily bread. Uh, I need a, a, loaf of, a loaf of this and a loaf of that. I need, uh, we're out of cheese, so I need cheese. My car's not working well, so I need to fix that. You know, so in other words, we start giving, you know, we start, uh, I, I, I often joke and say sometimes, uh, you know, we pray uh, Vande Goro Sri Charanaravindam, and uh, other people play, uh, they pray uh, One Day's Groceries, they ask for instead of Vande Goro, One Day's Groceries. Come on, this is real funny stuff here. There you go, that's, that's getting better. If you're waiting for real funny stuff, you're going to wait for a long time, so you better laugh at that stuff. So, uh, so many people start their day out, you know, my dear Lord, or they end it at night, they pray, you know, give me this, give me that. Uh, you know, little Johnny needs to go to the dentist, and, you know. <clears throat> but the devotee of Krishna, he's always wondering, how can I please you, my Lord? What can I do for you? He, the devotee wonders constantly, my dear Guru, my dear uh, Sri Guru, my dear Krishna, what can I do? To, what is it that you want? You see. So the saintly person becomes so caught up in wondering, what does Krishna want, that he's not even thinking for himself. You see. He doesn't even think, well, all right, I'm just going to depend on Krishna. He doesn't have to think like that. He's just wondering so much how to, how to please Krishna and what can I do for Krishna. 
He starts to think of Krishna as helpless. Krishna depends on me. I must do for him, you see. We learn that from the uh, appearance of the deity. Krishna comes in the form of the deity in a, an apparently helpless form. You know, Krishna appears helpless. He can't do anything for himself. So we have to bathe him and feed him and dress him. You see, he accepts this service from us. So deity worship will help us get into this frame of mind of my Lord. He depends on me. You know, when I was head Bajari in Dallas back in the 70s, I used to think that Radha Kalachanji depended on me to, to do everything. In those days, we didn't have a big staff of Pajaris. There was pretty much myself and a couple other people who took, took care of the deities. So we almost did everything. So uh, there were many mornings when I felt sick or I couldn't. And I thought, well, but I, I have to, Krishna. What's going to happen if I don't go? So we, we think, we start, the devotee starts to think Krishna's depending on me, you see. Now, um, that's good. Some people argue, uh, non-devotees, the devotees can understand that, but non-devotees say, well, how can you possibly think that God depends on you, you see? Well, ultimately, perhaps, he doesn't. He's the supreme controller. He can do everything and he can control everything. But he likes for us to consider that we are taking care of him, you see. He likes for us... As a matter of fact, he would like he likes for us in the mode of service to tell him what we need to set, to to serve him. My dear Lord, I'm doing this and I'm doing that, and I need uh, you know I, I need a van because the, the, we we have so many boys and we, we don't have the you know we, we don't have the facility to travel and distribute books. We need we need that. You see, the Lord is happy to to supply the devotee. When we start to depend on Krishna. Uh, he starts to give more and more. <clears throat> and it's not that, I mean, when we hear things like this, we sometimes think, wow, this is such deep thought. I could never be a devotee like that, you see. But again, it's like when we're thinking, well, I could never fully love Krishna. But if we can love him a little bit, he accepts that great pleasure. So even though we may feel that we can't come fully to that platform of always wanting to please Krishna, if we can do it some, if we can take steps that way and live our lives in such a way, then Krishna is very delighted. And it's, that starts a, a relationship with him. Uh, <clears throat> so... Uh, uh, when I took Vanaprast years ago and started to travel and didn't have a base or a home or anything like that, I just had to depend on Krishna, you see, for, for whatever. I had nothing. When I, when I left household life, I didn't have a savings or anything. I was just, just a wandering fool, you know. Uh, and now I'm a bigger wandering fool, just a bigger fool. <laughs> and I wander even more. But I had to depend on Krishna. So... <clears throat> And I tried my best to do that, but it was easy because I had no one else to depend on. I, would, I couldn't go to the temple and say, I need this or I need that. I just have to play and beg. I beg Krishna, oh, please give me that. I need this, you know, for, for service. So I didn't need anything for myself, but for, for the services that I wanted, wanted to perform. So through the years, uh, Krishna responded in so many different ways. Um, and one story I'll share with you that, that some people find kind of funny 
Uh, and this is an example of, of what happens to the traveling preacher. Uh, I was going to El Paso, Texas. And you know, anybody know? Out in the middle of the desert in West Texas, it's out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's, uh, it's right across the, <clears throat> the Rio Grande River from Mexico. And uh, it's kind of isolated by itself. So I was going out there to preach. I'd been going out there for years and finally had some people that were becoming devotees. And so uh, the place where I, was, I usually stayed, which is a kind of a rundown, junky motel, the Patel Motel, uh, was, was not able to put me up. And it's like, uh, uh, it's 650 miles from Dallas, and you're still in Texas. It's that far. It's like, I'm telling you, out in the middle of nowhere. So uh, that would be like a thousand kilometers, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm. Something like that. You know, so it's a long way. So I get out there, and there's no place to stay. And I thought, oh, Krishna, what are we going to do now? So this one hippie boy said, well, I've got this little room out in the back of my house. It's kind of like a garage, small garage or a tool shed. And we could move some things around. You could sleep in there. And I thought, that's better than outside. You know, so sure. So they put on a, uh, an inflatable bed. And, and I said, I'm not picky. <clears throat> you know, I don't make many demands. So I thought I'd joke with him. He felt badly that he was going to give me this tool shed to sleep in. So I thought I'd loosen it up with humor. And I said, I'm not very picky and I don't make many demands. The only thing that I have to have is uh, a giant screen, flat screen TV with it, <laughs> HD, you know, high definition, with remote control. Uh, simply must have a king size bed and uh, a whirlpool bath in, in the bathroom. Other than that, whatever you have is fine. And he's He's looking at me like, well, I don't have it. I said, look, it's a joke, so loosen up. So he laughed. <laughs> so he thought it was funny. So I stayed there a couple of days, and then we had a couple of programs. And then what, we had this one program, <clears throat> and this nice Indian gentleman came up to me afterwards, and he said, oh, thank you so much for coming to El Paso. I've been praying for this. He's uh, aspiring, uh, aspiring for uh, Radhanath Maharaj, the initiation from Radhanath Maharaj. He's very, he was... Uh, in our Philadelphia temple for years. He's, he's out in El Paso. And he said, where are you staying? And I said, well, I'm staying in Anthony's house. And, and, uh, so he went and talked to Anthony, and he came back and he said, I insist, you can't stay there. And I said, well, no, it's okay. And he said, no, you have, I own a hotel. You should move into my hotel. And I'm thinking, I don't want to pack everything up. I'm already situated. And so I said, well, no, it's okay. Said, no, no, I insist. I have room for you in my hotel. And I thought, Another Patel motel, but okay, you know, just to, to solidify the relationship. Someone's offering, you accept, you see. I mean, it's, it, it, we're duty-bound to, if we're going to establish a relationship. And preaching is basically establishing and maintaining relationships, you see. If you're going to bring people to the point of initiation and chanting Hare Krishna, following the regulative principles, you establish and then maintain a relationship and bring them along. So I thought, okay, uh, I'll go. So I followed him over to his hotel, and it was this big hotel. It wasn't anything like the little motels that I was that I usually see. It's gigantic hotel, big Holiday Inn, and he took me down the hallway, opened the door to my room, and the first thing I saw was a giant screen, flat screen, <laughs> HD TV with remote control and the gigantic king-size bed 
And I thought, wait a minute. And I went in the bathroom and looked, and sure enough, the bathtub had a whirlpool bath. <laughs> and I said, Krishna, I'm just joking. <laughs> Can't you take a joke? <laughs> you know, so, you know, so Krishna does that. And, you know, he's like that. He even trumps you a little bit. You know, you asked for this and this and this, and I gave you that and that and that. And this to boot. So, uh, but then sometimes we may not have such nice facilities. And I'm not uh, trying to make you think that I'm on the level of this pure-hearted Brahmin. But a traveling preacher does kind of have to depend a little bit on the mercy of the Lord. When we're thinking of, I'm only doing this, my Lord, to, to satisfy you, uh, to satisfy Guru and Krishna. You know, uh, typically Westerners want to retire. You know, in America, they want to, when they turn 65 or whatever, they, they retire on a pension and go to Florida. Or people like to go to Florida. You know, as Prabhupada said, they go to Florida and they lay in the dirt. <laughs> they go to Florida and lay in the beach, and Prabhupada said, they lay in the dirt. At the end of their life, they go to Florida and lay in the dirt. You know, so I didn't want to go lay in the dirt. But, uh, and I don't know, where do people retire in the UK? What is it, south of France? What is it? Spain. Spain? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, so, so people have that desire. And, and being a Westerner, I, when I was a very young man, before I became a devotee, uh, I had that desire to someday go lay in the dirt or whatever, play shuffleboard. So we have those, but then we, uh, the devotee thinks, all right, now it's the end of my life. My, my dear Lord, uh, all my life I've done for me and I've done for others, <coughs> family, whatever. Now I just want to do for you. And uh, I don't feel like traveling, but uh, I will. And I hope you'll give me the health and the ability to do so. But I'm, I'm here. The only, thing I can, the only qualification that I feel that the devotee really needs is that I'm here and I'm willing to follow your will my Lord. I don't have uh, developed love for you. You know, I, I can't say that I'm advanced, but I'm here and I'm willing and I'm depending on you uh, to give me what's, what's needed to serve you, you see. And the Lord reciprocates. He truly does. You know, this isn't a fairy tale. This isn't like a, a make-believe. You know, these things happen. And uh, some people can say, well, that's coincidence. Well, coincidence uh, don't happen for many, many, many years, they don't continue. It, that, that's not the nature of, co of uh, coincidence, you see. So um, we have to develop our Krishna consciousness to the point that we start to think so much less about what we want. But it's ingrained into us. We, we worry about what I want, you know, what I want to eat, where I want to go, what I want to do, you see. Uh, and start to think as we lessen that and increase what does Krishna want? What does my guru want? What does guru and Krishna want? Uh, and we get caught up in it. You can get caught up in it because Krishna, he doesn't really just come out and say it right away, you know. You, have, you actually have to probe and think. You have to meditate on it, you see. And be ready. He'll start to send you signs on what he wants, but you have it's not like you can just say, Hey Krishna, send me an email, let me know what you want. <laughs> Call me, you know. It doesn't really work like that. You have to be ready. You know, you have to have that desire that uh, please tell me, my Lord, you know, because I don't know what you want, but I've got an idea, so I'm thinking maybe I'll do this, that's my plan. 
You know, in Mayapur they have a saying that if you want to make Radha Madhav laugh, tell them your plans. <laughs> so we make a plan. We meditate and we make a plan. This is how I'm going to serve Krishna. And then Krishna tells us what he wants and how we're going to serve him. You know, sometimes your plan is, is good, but most of the times Krishna says, oh, that's very good. Here's how we're going to do it, though. You see? So, <laughs> which is his kindness. So, uh, so this is the nature of uh, uh, development of our spiritual life, starting to desire uh, to, to please Krishna and to wonder, how can I please you? You see? And we see that uh, we can develop that in the way we dress, in the way we eat. You know, some, in the beginning, we think, well, you know, uh, today I'd like a pizza. So I think I'm going to make a pizza, put it on the altar, get Krishna to bless it. And then I'm going to devour this pizza, you see. And then uh, through the years, we'll develop thinking, my Lord, what do you want to eat? You see, what, do I, what can I feed you today? And you may say, well, I don't have deities. Well, you can have a picture of Krishna. And we start to think, what can you, what do you want? What do you like? You see, there's an argument some places. They say, well, you know, we should have a diet like this or a diet like that. Well, what does Krishna like to eat? You know, at the Bhogarti prayer. The, have you ever read the, the English translation to the Bhogarti and the description of what Krishna likes to eat? He tells you that. That's right there. And it's very nice. You see, so the devotee starts to want uh, what Krishna likes, and we forget. Well, I, but I prefer this, or I prefer that. We start to really, really want to know what does Krishna prefer, and as soon as we know what Krishna loves, oh, immediately that's attractive. You know, if Krishna likes a certain dish, it's got to be good. You know, it may not be like mother or grandma used to fix. It may not be what we're accustomed to from our heritage or whatever, but uh, we know it's from Krishna. He likes it, you see. It pleases him. So it becomes very attractive to us. I remember uh, in 1976, <clears throat> I was in Mayapur, and I was lurking around outside of Prabhupada's room, uh, just hoping to get a, a glance or, you know, maybe some service or whatever, you know. And Pusta Krishna came out, and Srila Prabhupada had just finished taking prasadam. And so uh, Prabhupada, when he would eat, after he finished, he would stir his remnants. He would stir them up. Because it's offensive to pick and choose. You know, if someone offers you maya, uh, maha, you don't say, oh, oh I, I'll take that one, but not that one. That's an offense. You're supposed to just take it. You know, as best thing as you say. Just give me. So Prabhupada, in order to keep us from doing that, he would stir his plate, stir all the remnants up. So Pusta Krishna walked out the door and he looked at me and he said, you again, what do you want? I said, mercy. He said, here you go. He gave me a big handful of Prabhupada's remnants. And I whiffed it down. He said, you want more? And I said, yeah. he said, <laughs> off you go. So, so you know where I was every day at that time. So, but as soon as we taste, as soon as I tasted uh, Prabhupada's prasadam, I thought, that's, the that is good. In other words, the definition of what's tasty changes. This tells you what is tasty. Prabhupada likes this. So, whatever I thought I liked, that mom cooked or my grandma cooked or whatever, that's the, 
Now it's been realigned. Now I know what tasty prasadam should taste like. And I try to remember, every day I would try to remember what, what's in this? This must be cumin in the chunts and like that. And then when I got back to the U.S., I tried to cook like that and develop that taste because we're offering it. You see, we're cooking for, for Krishna. We're cooking for Guru and Krishna. We're not cooking for ourselves. You know, it's okay to think that, oh, you know, in the beginning, don't be discouraged if, you, if you're thinking, well, I'm cooking for me and I'm going to offer it. But uh, try to, to uh, hit the target of cooking for Krishna. To please Krishna, you see, and you'll be even, even more pleased. When we try to please Krishna, we end up being far more pleased than we could ever imagine if we try to just please ourselves. So, uh, I'm not sure what time I sh we should end, but it's 8:30s. I think I can ask for questions. Are there any questions or comments? Yes, mother. Thank you for a nice class, uh, Thank you. Uh, no, the deities in Houston have not come back, unfortunately. Uh, they've offered uh, reward, but the deities haven't come back. Uh, as far as the breakage of the deities in New Zealand, uh, that would be similar to the breakage of the deities in, um, uh, well, even a worse demonstration of, of that, would be the breakage of Radha, Vrindavan Chandra in New Vrindavan. I don't know if you know that story. In New Vrindavan back in the 70s, some bikers came in, you know, the rough guys on motorcycles, and they, they had shotguns, and they shot one devotee, and they were pointing guns at everybody, and they, were, they just took over the community, and they went up on the altar, and they said, so you think this is your god, huh? And they were making fun, and they had done all kinds of things, broken different things, so they, they pushed... Krishna over, they pushed Vrindavan Chandra over, and when he fell, he made this racket, this boom, it was so loud, it seemed like it cracked the sky. And the bikers got afraid, and they, they left, they got on their motorcycles and left. So Vrindavan Chandra was broken, but he was put back together. There was one little piece about uh, that size of Vrindavan Chandra that they couldn't get to fit for whatever reason. So Kirtananda Maharaj, I, was, I, was, I visited him in uh, 78, I think, 77, 78, and he had this piece of Vrindavan Chandra on his desk under a piece of glass. You know, he said it wouldn't fit when we put him back together. So, But when we go before the, the deity of Vrindavan Chandra, you can't tell that he was ever broken, you know. so. Uh, why does Krishna choose to have these pastimes? I don't know. That's, uh, I, don't, I don't know why he has pastimes like that. But this is his choice. And, um, you know, he's having some sort of relationship with us. You know, it breaks our heart to see the, the, the deity stolen or broken. It breaks our heart, you see. So as, as we care for Krishna like that, Krishna's tasting that. That, that love that we have, our heart is stung, and Krishna's saying, "Joe, oh, just see how she's she's lamenting for me." You know, 
And, and that's, that's a, a step towards what I was talking about. You see, if we were impersonal or uh, not so advanced as Vaishnavas, we may think, well, what do I care? He's God. You can't hurt God. But see, the devotee sees past that. In, in Goloka Vrindavan, uh, Krishna's not God. You know, Krishna's just wonderful, beautiful Krishna. They don't think, he doesn't, I was talking with Jaidwaita Maharaj in, in Mayapur, we were having that a discussion on that, just kind of getting into the, you know. Krishna doesn't get any respect in Goloka Vrindavan. The devotee, the, the, the uh, uh, gopis don't respect him. He's not God. There's no need for God in Gokul. He's just wonderful Krishna. And they worry about him. You know, when he goes out to take care of the cows, they wonder, is, he's not wearing shoes. Is he going to hurt his feet? They don't think, well, he's God. He'll be okay. You see? They don't think like that. So the, we, the devotees, we're, we're, we're hurt when we see something like this. And so, so Krishna tastes that. You care for me. You see? That's what, um, that's what pleases him when we care for him and we worry about him. Is that okay? Thank you. Yes, Mother? I have a question about the wonderful example of the one across, I don't know how many years now. Um, Eight. Okay. So it's very unfortunate that in our society we haven't actually developed that uh, of uh, ashram. Well, we've made great progress. In the, back in the 70s, uh, the, the brahmacharis uh, and the brahmacharinis were taking care of the, the rest of the movement. They were going out and distributing books. And I remember in, in the mid-70s, I think it might have been 75, I met with Tamal Krishna Maharaj in Chicago, and I said, you know, this is upside down. He said, what? And uh, I said, we've got... We, we should have the grihastas out working and giving to, uh, to support the temple. Vishnu John Maharaj said, say that again? And I said, yeah, it's, it's a foreign concept to us. I was working, I was in business at the time. And he said, uh, well, yeah. And I said, well, look at all the other churches. That's the, way, that's the way it's always been. And why are we any different? And he said, well, that's right, you know. Well, what do we do? And I said, well, I don't have an answer right now. He said, all right, well, let's work on it. So we talked about it for years. And so in 1978, after Prabhupada left, he came to where I was living in Tennessee. And uh, I had made some devotees, householder devotees. And uh, he had been given, the GBC had, had given him Dallas. 
you see. And everyone had left. They went with Satsarup Maharaj. Everyone left the community except two Pajaris, a man, a man and his wife, uh, Divya Gunananda, and his wife Divya Shakti had stayed behind to take care of the deities. Everyone was gone. So he had all this big place and empty, and he said, we need to, you know, now's our chance to start this thing we've been talking about all these years of Grihastas working a job and supporting the movement. And he said, if you'll move to Dallas and get all these other families to move too, then we can start uh, the first community of Grihastas working outside the temple and not depending on the brahmacharis. And so he moved the Radhadamadar party there. They were domiciled there. And so I moved and these other families moved. And they're all still there. They're all old men now managing. They've been there for, since 1978, they've been there. So, uh, so then other Grihastas saw what was going on and they moved there and so many, the place just filled up. All the houses that we had filled up, you know. And uh, so it has turned around. Now, we're not finished. We certainly aren't. But uh, it would be good if we got in the, uh, in the mindset of the Grihastas thinking, this is my responsibility to take care of the the brahmacharis, the vanaprastha, and sannyasis. This is my responsibility, not the temple. You know, the temple. Uh, uh, we should be careful of, of, of ourselves saying things like, well, they ought to, well, wait a minute, who's they? That's impersonal. Who are you talking about? Is it him? Is it him that should do this? Is it the temple president? Name the people. Get personal. We are personalists. Well, they shouldn't. Well, no, no, there is no they. There are people who do things. There aren't they's, you see. So, uh, and uh, we are part of us. So, if I say, well, they ought to do this. Well, I'm really saying that, well, you and I should make a change, you see. If you want a change in the world, be the change that you want. Be it yourself. See? It's like if, you're, uh, if we're preaching as a preacher, the first thing, the first requirement of a preacher is to be a devotee. Be the devotee that you want him to be. You can't say, well, I want, I want her to be a better devotee than I am. That's not going to work. You see, you have to be the devotee that you want that you're trying to get people to be. So we have to be the change that we want in the world. Somebody said that. Somebody famous said that. Gandhi. Huh? Gandhi. Yeah, Gandhi. So when you get old, you forget things. I, I knew that. But, you know, so we have to be like that. So, and we approach things on, on a very positive note. Uh, the conditioned living entity has a tendency to complain about what they are doing. You see. But as we advance spiritually, we say it in a positive way. You know, we, you and I, we can do this and it'll be better. You see, the start, the change starts now. Let's, let's do it now. You see, that's positive. So, when we look at things like that, then the world is always very positive. And Prabhupada looked at, at, at it. He didn't, Prabhupada could have whined and cried about us because we were rotten. We were just a bunch of hippies. You know, we were foolish. You know, but he, he didn't. 
to him, everything is beautiful. I mean, he did complain about us from time to time. You know, <laughs> he should have. <laughs> One time he said, trying to make Brahmins out of uh, Westerners is like trying to wash the black off of coal. <laughs> so, but at other times he said, my spiritual master, my guru, sent all of you to help me. You know, so Prabhupada was positive. He was very positive. He said things like, impossible is a, a word in a fool's dictionary. You see, we, we think big. You see, because we're working for Krishna. Krishna has all the resources. You see, so there's nothing that can be withheld from us. There's nothing we can't accomplish if we're trying to serve Krishna. If we're trying to glorify ourselves, we, we have big challenges. But if, if we're trying to serve Guru and Krishna, then... Uh, you know, the world is, uh, is open to us. I believe you had a question, Mother? Is, is that okay, Mother? Thank you. Right. I just wanted to ask, like, all these uh, examples of being how Krishna provides everything, even if we don't ask, or even if we say jokingly, or even sometimes we ask, so I think for a service. And these are kind of, we can say, small things, you know, they can be near a van, or they can be near computers, they can be near something. So why then Krishna is giving all these things to us, but it's not even, we could still do service even without them, but when we ask for pure devotional service, then we don't get that. The pure devotional service is up to us. Pure devotional service is an attitude, because pure devotional service is delivered off of the, uh, the platform of love. You know, uh, if when we truly love someone, then service is attached, you see. Uh, it's, it's superficial to say, uh, I love you. Okay, off you go, see you later. You know, when you say to someone, I love you, that means I want to be with you. I mean, if, if, if you have to turn around and walk away, it's going to crush me. So, I, and, and I want to do for you. Is there anything you see? So, with our love, comes service. So pure devotional service uh, is developed from within us with our desire, intense desire to serve Krishna. So if it was up to us, if we're going to live our lives just for us, then we may not need a van or a computer. You see, we can get along fine. Someone may say, well, the six Goswamis didn't have computers on the internet and they, and they serve Krishna just fine. You know, well, they also didn't have dictaphones for their writing. But Srila Prabhupada did. He had the uh, availability of a dictaphone that he could talk into. It made his... So, in other words, instead of taking 10 hours to do a certain project, it would only take two. Because he didn't have to write it out. You see, he could just speak it. So, it increased his amount of service that he could do. So, if we see that I need a new computer or certain kind of vehicle because it will increase my service. Not that we just want it for ourselves and we're saying will it increase my service, but it, maybe not. But if it truly will, then that is uh, a step towards pure devotional service because you're just doing it to serve Krishna. You see. Now we could say, well, I could, you know, just give me a water pot and my and my beads and I'll be fine. You know, serve Krishna. But <clears throat> uh, in in any mode that we're serving Krishna, there may be some sort of a technological 
item that we could use in Krishna's service to increase that service. And Prabhupada says that's, we've taken that object like this microphone, Prabhupada said. This microphone is being used to speak about Krishna. So it's become Krishnaized. Prabhupada coined those terms. So it's been, become, your car becomes Krishnaized when you use it for service. You see, your pots and pans become Krishnaized when you use them to cook for Krishna, the devotees. Your computer becomes Krishnaized. You know, uh, so we don't use it for nonsense, we use it for service. So, is that okay? Yes, Mother? Okay, I'm not English and I'm a little stupid. Mm -hmm. Sorry, sorry, I'm not stupid. No, no, no. Well, I'm a lot stupid, so we have a lot in common then. <laughs> Okay, I don't have to do this question. My spiritual master is always making jokes with me. Okay, that's okay, but because I have a big false ego and it's really struggling that I cannot accept it. And just, I don't know, the question is what to do with my false ego? Boy, that's a tough one because false ego is what got us here from the spiritual world and it's what keeps us here. And it's what we're all trying to get over. Once we conquer this false ego, we'll, be, we'll go back to Godhead. So it's a constant job for us and the way we, constant, uh, we uh, correct false ego. False ego starts when I say, I am, and I end that statement with, anything other than a servant of Krishna. So, I am a servant of Krishna and Krishna's devotees. That's what I am. Now, when I say that, that's pure ego. That's not false ego. That's a true identification with who I am. And as long as I can focus on that, I won't have so much problem with false ego, you see. Uh, get in a habit when you find yourself, when you find your false ego starting to feel uh, offended or feelings hurt. Just say, get a hold of yourself. Get over yourself. Say that to yourself. You know, I do that when, when I find out, you know, sometimes I may be someplace and I'm thinking, you know, you know, I'm in Mayapur and, then, and I'm thinking, well, he didn't pass the ghee lamp to me. Now, I'm a Prabhupada disciple. Then I say, get over yourself. Who do you think you are? So you have to chastise yourself. You can chastise yourself in a way that you, your husband wouldn't be able to. You see? Or if, if she were to chastise you, there's only so much you'll take from her. But from yourself, you can be brutal. You can say, you fool. <laughs> you, you can tell yourself, this, this kind of works. Tell yourself two, two words. Two, two important words when you find yourself acting in a false ego way. Two important words. Stop it. Stop it. Tell yourself, stop it. Like you would a child if a child's, you know, doing some, stop it. But, but no, no, stop it. Or a dog, you know, a dog that's, you know, like... It's like you, know, you see a dog and you say, Hut! Tell yourself. You, you can do that to yourself. No one else can, because you'd be ready to fight. But you can do it to yourself. You can say, stop this nonsense. And, and then you may think, yeah, now I feel better. 
you see. It's a, um, we're all a work in progress. And, and we can do it. And ask Krishna to help us. Are you listening to my speech, Master? But I'm a very serious woman, and you're joking with me. <laughs> it's because he loves you. you. People don't joke with people they don't like. People joke with people that they're fond of. Isn't it? Yeah. When you're fond, you have a best friend or something, you may tease them. You may say things that are even might, from others might seem offensive. You see? But it's, it's because of love. When there's love involved, then it's sweet. You see? It's sweet. Just enjoy it. And, be, and feel fortunate. You know? Feel proud and happy. And, but don't let yourself say, well, he's joking with me and he's not joking with you. No. <laughs> but yeah, enjoy that. We're not, as devotees, we're not trying to stop enjoying. We're trying to correct what we enjoy. You see, we enjoy spiritual uh, uh, relationships, especially uh, an exchange with Guru and the other devotees. So enjoy it. You're very fortunate. Get over yourself. Stop it. Okay? So. <laughs> Thank you so much. My pleasure. Yes, Mother? Just to make her feel good, it's a common thing between husband and wives. They always take the name of the wives, like the spiritual master as well, as you were saying, is affection. Yeah, yeah. But women always take it personally. Of course, yeah. <laughs> women have a more tender heart, yeah. you know. Uh, and sometimes we men don't understand the heart of them, sometimes. Usually... The man doesn't understand the heart of a woman. You know, it's an art to learn the heart of a woman. And uh, so I can joke with him in such a way and it may be bring us closer. And I may joke with you in a certain way and you're like, wait a minute. You see, so there's a difference in the nature of the heart. The man's heart is uh, harder, you know. You know, sometimes you see men, they'll go up to each other and haven't seen in a long time and it's, Hit him in the arm. Hey, how you doing, Bob? Good to see you. <laughs> you ever see women do that? They don't want, hey, how are you? Wham! <laughs> you know, it's the difference. You know, people talk about equality. How can there be equality? It's such a vast difference. You know, there is equality, but then there is difference. They're so different. So, what you need to do is, dealing with your guru especially, get over yourself, enjoy it. He's, uh, something about you uh, makes him feel happy. And he jokes with you. Something about you is very appealing, your, your nature. So, you're very fortunate. But you'll remember this. You'll remember these days. Uh, at a time in the future, he'll no longer be around. He will go back to, back to Godhead. Krishna will call him home. And so remember every one of these things. You should write them all down and you'll cherish them. I promise you. You'll cherish every glance that you get from your guru someday. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. All glories to Srila Prabhupada.